Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give. And there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. With the ongoing war in Ukraine affecting the cost of energy, many of us are facing a challenging winter. Through Budget 23, government is introducing a range of supports to lessen the financial impact on families, households and businesses. And will continue to monitor the situation in the coming months to protect those in difficulty. It's important that everyone stays warm and well. But where safe and possible to do so, reducing energy use can also reduce bills. Changes like turning your thermostat down by one degree and considering how often you use energy-intensive appliances like tumble dryers can make a big difference. For information on available supports and energy-saving advice, visit gov.ie forward slash reduce your use. Brought to you by the Government of Ireland. Welcome to On the Ball with Rick Buecher. Here's your host. Let's send it over to Rick Buecher. Rick Buecher. This is On the Ball on the United Wecast Network, and I am Rick Buecher. You can see me on FS1, hear me on Fox Sports Radio, and you can read me now on the Fox Sports app or foxsports.com. You can also follow me on both Twitter and Instagram at Rick Buecher. I'm a lot of places, but there's only one place you can hear me talking about story angles and perspectives that you are not likely to find anywhere else, primarily but not exclusively involving the NBA. That is here. I put these thoughts together while once more flying across the country from my home on the West Coast back to the Midwest where my parents live. This is my second trip in as many weeks because my father's health is failing. I suspect that this trip will be to say goodbye. Some of you have already sent me messages of condolence or commiseration, which I appreciate. Know that I consider myself lucky in so many ways. My dad has lived a long, full life. In going back last week, I got to spend time with him while he was still conscious and able to talk. I am now getting a chance to go back and say goodbye, whether... He can acknowledge or even hear me, or not. All that is way more than a lot of people get in this situation. 
As I noted in a previous episode, I also have an immediate family that is thriving right now, which is a welcome distraction. The hardest part is having this happen around the holidays and seeing the fear and sadness in my mom. My parents have been married more than 62 years, and I can only imagine how hard it is for her to imagine life without my dad. It's been hard for me to muster the energy or interest in doing my usual work the last few weeks, especially the last few days after I was told he was in his final days. Part of me wants to disappear for a while, head off to Mexico, or do what is required and nothing more, which would mean not doing this podcast since there's nothing compelling me to do it other than I normally enjoy doing it, and now that all of you have made me part of your routine, carved out a space for me in the content you consume, I feel an obligation to honor that. Uh, But just skipping off or not doing the deal wouldn't be how my dad would approach this situation or any other. The man showed up for work no matter what, worked as if his life depended on it. And I don't know what drove him, whether it was he feared being replaced, the salary he earned was limited enough that he couldn't afford to miss a day, or what. I think about my own career, and there was only one time I can vividly recall not taking the same approach. It was when ESPN started Cold Pizza, and they wanted me to be a part of it. I was already living on the West Coast, and at the time, doing anything other than being in a studio in front of a camera was not acceptable as far as appearing on ESPN TV. Years later, ESPN accepted having guests appear via phone, audio only, but not then, which meant I would have to get up at 3 in the morning to drive to a studio in San Francisco for what would be a 15-minute hit at the most. I didn't know the cold pizza producers or bookers, which might have made a difference. Bottom line, I was not my usual eager, responsive self when they reached out. I was getting plenty of TV run elsewhere, along with writing for ESPN the magazine and ESPN.com and appearing regularly on ESPN radio. I was earning my keep, no doubt. But as a result of not jumping headfirst into cold pizza, they hired Chris Broussard, who was based on the East Coast, and I suddenly had a rival NBA analyst where I previously had not. I've never taken an opportunity for granted since, which is why I'm doing my best to keep putting out episodes on at least a semi-consistent basis. I'm not lacking ideas or subjects, just the desire to explore and express them right now with a muddled head and a heavy heart. But let's soldier on. Let's try to get this done. This episode is inspired by several completely disparate comments, observations, and events in the last few days. One was from a listener who took issue with my recent episode on Joel Embiid and the prospects of the Philadelphia 76ers winning a title with him. I tried to find the post, the tweet, so I could quote it directly, but I don't know where it went. Maybe the listener deleted it. Anyway, it cited some statistics regarding Embiid to suggest I was wrong about his capabilities. Dead wrong. The statistics didn't really have anything to do, the statistics that he cited didn't really have anything to do with my point, which was that Embiid simply can't reach the level of fitness he needs to lead a team. 
But the numbers that he posted sounded impressive, looked meaningful. Now that I think about it, he must have deleted the post because pretty much anyone who read it would have had the same reaction I had. Those numbers don't prove anything as far as Embiid's ability to lead a team to a championship. The second comment that caught my attention was by Sam Amick of The Athletic. Sam tweeted, This Kevin Durant versus Stephen Curry MVP race is going to be fun. Sam posted that. Sam posted that after KD's 51-point performance against the Detroit Pistons, which topped Steph's 50-point performance against the Hawks earlier this season. My first thought was, it's kind of early for anyone, much less someone with a vote, to suggest that the MVP race is going to be an exclusive two-man race. Giannis Antetokounmpo is as much in the running from where I sit as either of those two. Chris Paul continues to work his magic with the Phoenix Suns, and while the Nuggets don't have the kind of record that earns a player MVP consideration, Nikola Jokic is doing everything he did a year ago when he won the award. And if LeBron James somehow manages to drag this Lakers team up to the top of the Western Conference standings, I'd have to give him consideration as well. Now, maybe I'm not giving my fellow scribe enough slack, but... My, my issue is less with Sam precluding who has a shot at the MVP title as much as what might have inspired it. That KD scored 51 in a game against a very challenged Pistons team means he took the lead over Steph or that this is now a two-man race because they have the top two scoring games of the season so far. One point against a bad team is the difference. Sounds preposterous because it is. And I'm sure some of you would argue, well, Rick, it's not as if the vote is tomorrow. That one point hasn't won it for him yet. Okay, but why are we acting as if it moved the needle or as if it created this battle between those two? Talking about something being momentous or meaningful, from my experience, results in it being momentous or meaningful. I'm Louise Makshari of Catch Up with Louise Makshari. I could not be more thrilled to be telling you about the return of The White Lotus. It's streaming now with a Now Entertainment membership. I loved everything about the first series of the show, from the cast to the music. And it is just the perfect blend of mystery, comedy and drama. In, in my opinion, the finale of the last series was nothing short of a masterpiece. And now in season two, they're bringing us to Italy. Jennifer Coolidge is back and thank God for that. And this time she's joined by a new cast of characters. If you missed season one, I can't encourage you enough to catch up. You won't regret it. It's streaming now with a Now Entertainment membership. And you can stream the new season of the Emmy Award winning The White Lotus weekly on Now. And then there's the breathlessness over Steph being on the brink of passing Ray Allen for most career three-pointers. I don't know. I think we've seen this one coming for a while. It's just hard for me to get that worked up about what it means. But that's being made out to be something momentous too. And I'm not trying to discount the achievement or suggest Steph and the Warriors shouldn't take tremendous satisfaction out of him and it. But it's being inflated in all sorts of ways, isn't it? It's being used to make the case that Steph transformed the way the game is played and that by doing so, it actually elevates him over Michael Jordan, who didn't transform how the game is played, according to those making this argument. The truth, neither of them 
changed the way the game is played. Their teams did. Running an offense through a shooting guard operating from the pinch post, as the Bulls did, was facilitated by Phil Jackson's love for the triangle and Tex Winter's ability to help teach it. Jordan had the all-around skills and did the necessary physical training to make it work and then made the system work well enough to win six championships and never even need a a game seven in the finals to do it. But he still needed the vehicle, and he wasn't the architect. The same goes for Steph. The Warriors' offense is unique in today's game in that it is not predicated on post-ups or even a steady diet of pick and rolls, not in the truest sense. Screens are used for sure, but they're used to create gaps in the defense that lead to a shot opportunity rather than directly to a shot, pull-up jumper, driving layup, or lob. You see a lot of that with, say, Chris Paul and DeAndre Ayton in the Suns. Not so much with the Warriors. Theirs is mostly a motion offense that relies heavily on off-the-ball movement, drive and kick action, but with minimal dribbling. And these are the elements that take advantage of Steph's unique skills. And he has become a wizard at manipulating the options or creating some that few other players could pull off, including Trey Young, for what it's worth. But we'll get to that at another time. This is the truest indication that the Warriors system is what has presented a new approach to the game more so than Steph. And that's how mediocre they were last year in spite of Steph going absolutely bonkers. No matter how many quantum physics degree of difficulty shots he made, it couldn't even get them into the playoffs. But now that they have a substitute electric shooter for Klay Thompson and Jordan Poole, now that Draymond Green is back to being a closer facsimile of the playmaking defensive backbone Draymond Green, and now that they once more have players like Andre Iguodala and Nemanja Bielitsa and Otto Porter, who have the skills and IQ to execute the system, they're suddenly the team to beat in the league again, or at least one of them. If someone tries to tell you Steph has transformed the game because he shoots a shot from 30 feet now and then, ask them how many other players and teams do that. How many teams have won a championship doing that? Or maybe the best solution would be just to start find something else to talk about with them because I can only imagine the basketball conversation would be pretty limited and frustrating. I can only assume it's the amount of threes that Steph shoots and the distance with which he shoots some of them that prompts people to suggest that he revolutionized the game. But the game is revolutionized by team success, not individual accolades. And believe it or not, Steph's range isn't what made the Warriors champions. It was an asset, for sure. But their offense isn't predicated on him bombing from 30 feet. Or at least it wasn't when they were winning championships and going to the finals every year. I didn't plan to get sidetracked like that into who or what has transformed the game, but I felt it needed to be said. My primary point, starting with the post from the Embiid fan that listens to my podcast, is that we're now using numbers and statistics routinely to create legends and superstars, as if a stat line or shooting percentage or season average in anything is the mark of achievement rather than the means to achieving something. We're, in essence, we're worshiping the accounting department, not the product that the accounting department's company produces. 
I was reminded of how deceiving numbers and statistics can be when they're used to define a player's individual greatness by a number of things I witnessed recently, along with a conversation I had with one of my FS1 producers about football. My son, high school senior, was just part of a state championship football team. Uh, my father, fatherly pride insists that I say a big part. But what I thought about as I watched his team make its march to the championship is how the events noted in the newspaper or that stood out in the box score in an interception or a 50-yard pass play weren't necessarily the plays that went the longest way to deciding the game. They just got the most attention. But it was the two-yard gain on a fake punt to keep a drive alive that swung the momentum, that led to more time burned off the clock and creating an eventual two-score lead and thereby forcing the run-heavy opponent no choice but to try to throw the ball, not something they were particularly good at. That, to me, was as important or maybe more important than that 50-yard pass play that didn't necessarily lead to points put on the board. That's a circumstance the two-yard gain off the fake punt, that a box score or numbers have no way of conveying. Or, say, the tackle that only allowed a one-yard gain on a fourth and two inside the five, something my son's team's defense did multiple times, as in the opposing offense drove the length of the field to the goal line but were kept from crossing it. The huge emotional swing created by that innocuous, innocuous tackle after a one-yard gain is immeasurable. And yet, in the box score, it is just recorded as a tackle and a stop of a one-yard gain. My son's team also won its championship in a class below what they normally play during the regular season because of how the playoff system works. Teams are ranked by their regular season record in the strength of competition. His team actually had a losing regular season record, but four of the losses were by three points or less to some of the best teams in the Bay Area. They then won the school's first state title, but the two teams that previously played in a state championship game did so against tougher competition. Every stat, every number, every achievement, it has a story behind it, an important one. So comparing numbers or even outcomes, doesn't tell the story. The conversation with the producer was about interceptions and his suggestion that they shouldn't always be credited to the quarterback, but in the case of the ball caroming off the hands or other body part of the receiver, that the interception would be credited to the receiver. And I like the idea. It would be a monstrous challenge to get accepted because it would be a concession of sorts that our view of interceptions in the past wasn't really accurate or fair and would raise the question of which quarterbacks were unduly perceived as throwing picks when their receivers were actually a major contributing factor. We'd have to go back, well, presumably have to go back through the record books, go back through the archives and the tape to set it right. Or we just move forward and realize we weren't fair in the past. We're going to try to be more fair now. Now, most of the players I've mentioned in this podcast, the Stephs and the Jordans, are not the ones that I'm really concerned with being treated fairly by statistics or when it comes to giving numbers far more meaning than they deserve. It's the Joel Embiid's and the Russ Westbrook's and the James Harden's and the Anthony Davis's, and, well, the list is almost endless. 
Every day I see someone post a statistical achievement and attach some meaning to it that is unwarranted. They're trying to make a point. They're trying to force a point by putting out some statistical highlight. Now, if someone cataloged all the random posts that try to do that and line them up side by side, you'd think we are in the halcyon days of the NBA, that the league is gorged with superstars doing things that no one before them was capable of doing, that today's version of basketball is being played at some quantum level players uh, of years past couldn't even comprehend. And I would imagine there's probably some people that started watching basketball about 10 years ago who believe that, who believe that today's players are light years of, ahead of the players in the past. And I would say that across the board, the bottom has been lifted. And the individual talent of players is at a higher level. But the superstars, superstars can play in any era. That's what I've seen based on, oh, my 30 years of watching it firsthand. That's been my experience. Those players then could adjust to how the game is being played now and still excel, still be at the top of the league. So let's give today's players their flowers. Let's enjoy when Steph pulls up from 30 and drains a three and makes it look so easy. Let's appreciate what LeBron is doing as he is about to turn 37. And let's leave it at that. All right, that does it for this episode of On the Ball on the United Wecast Network. Please rate and review the show on iTunes or wherever you get your podcast. And I'll be straight with you. I'm not sure when I'm going to produce the next episode. It may be in the next 24 hours. It may be in the next 48 or 72. I've got a few other things on my mind at the moment, and I hope you'll understand. In the meantime, as always, thanks for listening. Louise Makshari of Catch Up with Louise Makshari. I could not be more thrilled to be telling you about the return of The White Lotus. It's streaming now with a Now Entertainment membership. I loved everything about the first series of the show, from the cast to the music. And it is just the perfect blend of mystery, comedy and drama. In, in my opinion, the finale of the last series was nothing short of a masterpiece. And now in season two, they're bringing us to Italy. Jennifer Coolidge is back and thank God for that. And this time she's joined by a new cast of characters. If you missed season one, I can't encourage you enough to catch up. You won't regret it. It's streaming now with a Now Entertainment membership. And you can stream the new season of the Emmy Award winning The White Lotus weekly on Now.